Please be seated. We would all agree that love for God and love for one another is, is essential and central to being a Christian and living the Christian life. We are saved as, as, as God loves us redemptively, and then we are called to love one another. Listen to this passage from 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is central, very important to living the Christian life. Why can it be so elusive for us to love? A group of friends went deer hunting, and they, they paired off in to a number of pairs, so two guys were each hunting in one area of this, this particular hunting lease. And the plan was that after the, the, the day of hunting, they would gather back at camp, sit around the campfire, and, and, and talk about their deer hunting experience. So all the other guys had, had finished the evening hunt, and they had all gotten back to camp, were sitting around the campfire, but they noticed that one pair was missing. And then as they looked up, they saw one of the missing pair coming up the road. And, and this guy was carrying this huge trophy buck. He was just laboring under the weight of this thing. And so they obviously ran out to meet this guy. And they noticed that his partner wasn't around. And so one of them asked, hey, where's Harry? And the guy responded, well, Harry collapsed and was unresponsive. And I, he's, he's back lying in, in the road about, about two miles back. And one of the guys said, you mean you tell me that, that you brought this deer back and left Harry lying there? And the guy said, yeah, well, of course. I didn't figure anybody would steal Harry. <laughs> if you're not a deer hunter and you need explanation, see me after the service, but, but this, this story kind of shows what this guy really loved, and it wasn't Harry. <laughs> you know, we, we may laugh and should laugh, and I'm glad you did laugh at, at this story. It makes me feel good. You got my joke. I mean, it's just ridiculous that this guy would, would love in his heart a dead, book, a dead buck over the life of his friend. So we just, that's just ridiculous. But yet, when we really think about our own struggle to love God and to love others, think about the things that we value in our heart that hinders us from truly loving God and truly loving other people. And we can be just as messed up as this fellow in actually valuing a dead buck in our heart more than the welfare and need of a brother or sister in, in Christ. But good news is there's hope. There is hope for this failure to love that I think we all deal with at some level, at some point. Paul tells us about the power that we have available for us to truly love God and to truly love not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the church, but even to love those outside the church that may be against the church. 
And not only is this a a story of, of the power to love, but it is the power to love in unimaginable ways as God works in us. And the main thing that Paul wants us to see here in this prayer that, that we'll read in, in just a moment is that the, the, the priority of, of getting to the place where we can rightly and truly and powerfully love God and other people is this, asking primarily before doing. Asking God for the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hearts the love of Christ. So as I read this prayer, be thinking about the reasons that Paul has prayed this and the petition that we find here, and then think about the doxology which forms the closure to this prayer. So let us read. I will read. You follow along. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together. God, our Father, as we reflect upon this prayer, I, I would ask that you would show us our need to ask your faithfulness to pour out that we would receive and that we would come to the place of comprehending and knowing even more this love of Christ. Father, teach us what it means to be full and out of the overflow of our hearts, love you and love others that you would get all the glory. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to talk about three reasons I see for the Apostle Paul praying this prayer. And the first one, we're told in verse 14, he says, for this reason. He also said at the beginning of chapter 3, for this reason, and then he kind of takes a bit of a parenthetical pause and begins talking about the mystery of the gospel and his call to be a, a minister, an apostle. But now here in verse 14, he's going back to giving us the reason that he prays. And it really is based on what he has taught in chapter 2 and verses 11 through 22, which is about the fact that, that Jew and Gentile, these very different people, actually these enemies, have now been, been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ and through the cross of Christ and have been made into one body, one church, one new humanity, different races, different ethnicities, different social classes, even a church that is one composed of people who have been hurt and people who have hurt. And what the Apostle Paul is seeking to do here is to say that this prayer is 
showing you Ephesians and really showing us, Covenant Presbyterian Church, how we are to go about maintaining this precious unity that has been established by Jesus Christ. And the second reason I think the Apostle Paul gives this prayer is to convict us. Maybe, just, maybe it's just to convict me. I don't know. But um, he shows us the correct priority that, that we are to have. And that is to ask for the Spirit's work. Well, what, what is my natural bent? And I suspect what is your natural bent? And it's that we do. I want to fix. And yet what the Apostle Paul says that the priority, it's not saying doing it doesn't come, but our first thing is not to do, it is to ask and receive. And out of that comes the doing. And what we ask for is the Spirit's work in us. Now, I'm, a, I'm an authority on the problem of putting doing before asking. And so if you're struggling to understand that, just talk to me and I can tell you. I'm an ISTJ list uh, dutiful kind of a guy. And so I can, I can explain doing to you very well. It's probably my greatest spiritual problem <laughs> is that <laughs> I am so, so bent on doing that I forget the priority <laughs> to actually ask and depend on what Jesus might give me. This, this, this is a story, uh, it's not a, I mean, this actually happened some years ago. Renee, Renee says to me this, Tim, we don't spend enough time together. Now, we, we had a young family, and, and so I thought I responded pretty well. I, 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 I heard what she said. I, I, I really, you may not believe this, but I didn't defend myself. That's a big plus. I, I didn't shift the blame. Man, I'm, getting, I'm really getting good here. And so I thought I was doing pretty well in responding the way that I did. And so without, without even hardly thinking about it, with as sincere as I possibly could, I said, well, honey, I'll just, when would you like to meet? I'll just put you on my schedule. Now, ladies, think about that. Is your husband that dumb to say something like that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's my tendency is just a boom. This is the fix. I've got it. Let's move on. And yet what I didn't do was lit I didn't hear Renee, and I didn't hear her hurt. I really wasn't listening to her heart. And I did not truly love her. And so what, <coughs> excuse me, what, what might love have, have looked like in this situation? We'll, we'll get to that. But I didn't even consider that question. What would real Christ-centered love look like with this statement that Renee has made? Now listen, we need to understand that what the Apostle Paul is praying here is for the, you know, the big stuff that we deal with as Christians. But listen, brothers and sisters, the, 
so, so much of what we deal with as Christians, so much of where the gospel really comes to play is in the everyday issues of life. In the grand scheme of things, Renee's saying, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with her, enough time with her, is not, you know, a huge issue. Well, I may be in trouble, <laughs> but... Uh, I may have bigger issues. But you, you, you know what I'm saying is that we think the gospel is only for the big stuff, right? Well, no, that's not. It's for all of these mundane things or these things that don't seem to be a great cataclysmic thing, the little snips that we have throughout the day as husbands and wives, the little aggravations that we have to deal with as we respond maybe poorly to someone who has said something. I mean, that's where the gospel really comes into play as much as the big stuff that, that, that we are dealing with. And here is something that I've thought about and I think is true. When we fail to love out of our hearts that are full of Christ, we heap more hurt on that person. And I fail to love Renee out of Christ's fullness in my heart and I heaped more hurt onto her. That's what my fixing the problem did to Renee. Made it worse. Now can you identify with that? The third thing is not only is this pointing back to what Paul has already said in, in unity and how we're to be unified and then convicting us, but it's also Paul expresses his confidence in the Father. Verse 15, he says, the Father from whom every family in heaven or on earth is named. And just think of it as the Father's family. So the Apostle Paul now is, is directing this prayer to God the Father on behalf of the Father's uh, family. And how does the Father answer this prayer? In verse 16, according to the riches and his glory. That's what God does. When we ask of him, he responds, and it's with riches, and it's with glory and, and grace. In chapter 1, verse 7, he, there Christ, uh, we're redeemed through Christ according to the riches of his grace. In chapter 1, verse 18, our inheritance is according to the glorious uh, riches of of, his, of the inheritance of all the saints. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, it speaks of the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of... I mean, God is all about responding to the prayers of his people according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the point that I would like to make here is we have every confidence to go to him because he responds with goodness and richness and grace and mercy. If we look at uh, Luke chapter 11, there we find uh, this Jesus giving the Lord's prayer. And there he, he tells us to ask for God to provide for us, to, to give us our daily bread, to forgive us, uh, to lead us not into temptation. That's the Lord's prayer these petitions that we're to ask. And then he says in verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Both Paul and Jesus express confidence in God the Father responding to prayer with these good gifts, the riches of his glory and grace. And this confidence is ours too. The statement I just read of Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, the very end where Jesus said, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This, this helps us understand the second thing I want to talk about today, the petition. What is the petition that Paul presents in this prayer? The petition is asking the Spirit. You know, when Renee said to me, Tim, you don't spend enough time to me, I should have uh, responded by acknowledging her hurt and then con considering, well, why did she feel that way? There, and that should have directed me to ask the question, okay, what is messed up in my heart? I thought I knew the problem, uh, a scheduling snafu, <laughs> but obviously that was not the problem. There is a much deeper issue going on, and I, and I do know what the deeper issue now was, and in some respects continues to be. My time, my wants, my work, my ministry, my, my, my. You see, the real problem that was percolating deep down in my heart was my love for me. My fixation to meet me, my needs. That was my problem. And here's another thing that I have discovered we will likely miss the root problem in our heart if we simply focus on a quick fix. It comes down to asking for the Spirit to reveal to us our true need. What is messed up in our hearts that is hindering me from rightly and truly loving this other person, even loving God himself? And King David helps us here tremendously in Psalm 139, in the, the very end of that psalm, in the last two verses, 23 and 24, where he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you, do you see the priority of asking there? Do you see the priority of resting in the Holy Spirit to come and to search our hearts and to show us where we're messed up, what needs to be forgiven? Where, where change needs uh, to take place, the Holy Spirit reveals and he also empowers is what we learn in this, this particular prayer. I mean, listen, how, how would these poor uh, Ephesian believers, Jew and, and Gentile, formerly alienated from one another, how, do, how would they stand any hope of being one church if it was up to them to fix it? <laughs> to, do, to do things first 
that would bring about unity? How would they even come close to loving one another poorly if the priority was to be their doing? How could they possibly love God with all their heart and soul and mind? How would they be able to stand firm on the truth in that very pagan and hostile culture? How would they ever go about evangelizing or showing mercy to the poor? Listen, this... this this priority of asking the, the Spirit impinges upon every aspect of the Christian life. All of what we're called to do, there's a priority of asking the Spirit to come in and work, enabling us to do what we're called to do. But notice the priority. It's asking and it's receiving. And when we ask the Spirit to come in and work, when we actually avail ourselves, as it were, of that, that priority. How does the Spirit work? 16b, the Spirit targets the inner, the inner man or the inner woman, the heart, the center of one's existing, what, what Proverbs 4.23 calls the wellspring of our life. The Holy Spirit goes right to the very core of our being, the, 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 the wheelhouse, the power source for our living, and He works and operates there. You know the old saying, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Well, that's true of the heart too. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth. <laughs> that's why Jesus in Mark rebukes the Pharisees for being so careful to clean the outside of a cup. And he says, well, the inside is the problem. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out of the mouth. That's the problem. And then in verse 17, the Spirit strengthens the inner man through faith. Notice that, through faith, the instrument of faith. And, and how is the, the inner man strengthened? It's with the indwelling presence of Christ. In verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, now this is not the initial feeling that unites us to Christ. It's not, he's not talking about conversion, but it's this, this feeling over and over again that through faith where the Holy Spirit excuse me, causes us to perceive more fully the reality of Christ who has already indwelt us, that we would become overwhelmed, that we would more appropriate that powerful indwelling presence of Christ so that we would live out of that. And notice again, it is through faith. It is not about doing it is about believing and receiving and asking. And that then fuels and empowers our doing. Going back to my great solution for this issue with, with Renee, my response, let me schedule you in, honey, uh, was totally faithless. It was Christless. I was not turning to Jesus, as it were, in faith with empty hands, seeking him to work. I was trusting in my own ability. And a true faith response is turning in faith to the Holy Spirit and depending upon him to come and strengthen the inner man that I might respond out of that wellspring of Christ's love that the Holy Spirit enables me to perceive more fully in my heart. And we see a progression here, don't we, in, in this prayer. And then in verses 18 and 19, 
Paul writes that the Spirit comes in and roots and grounds us in Christ's love. Like a tree that is planted by a stream with those roots going deep down in, into the soil. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he, when he um, brings this, this strengthening power to us. Our, our hearts are more firmly rooted in the love of Christ and grounds us like, like, a, like a building that is placed upon a solid foundation. We're, we're more founded on the love of Christ. That's the Spirit's work in us. And Paul gives these reasons for the Holy Spirit to come and to ground us and to root us. And one reason is this. This is what God the Holy Spirit, this is the place he would to have us come. And you see it in verses 18 and 19, that we would grasp the immensity of Christ's love. First, we're to comprehend the dimensions of Christ's love. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And so we're to comprehend that. Well, what are we to comprehend? We're to comprehend that comprehending uh, the love of Christ is incomprehensible. And the point I want to make is that there, there's, there's no ruler big enough to measure, measure even one dimension of Christ's love for us. But this incomprehensible love through faith and by the work of the Holy Spirit fits in our heart. I mean, who can really completely understand the love of Christ? It's too great. It's too immense, but it fits in our hearts. And then he talks about with all the saints in verse 18. So he says that we're, he wants us to comprehend the breadth and height and length, even though we know it's incomprehensible and that it's just too great for our minds to really get around the love of Christ. And he says, with all the saints, which simply means this, to really understand or to grow in our comprehension of the love of God, it takes community. It takes the church. A single person can know some things about God's love, but we truly, we have a greater understanding of God's love as we see the dynamic of love being fleshed out in a church with different races, different ethnicities, different types of people. It's community that the Apostle Paul speaks about here. A love that reaches every people group, every class, every race, and radically changes sinners to saints and powerfully works in them to bring unity to this great diversity. And then he says we're able to know about that love. And then he says we're able to know about that love that surpasses knowledge. See, he's saying the same thing with about comprehending God's love is it's incomprehensible to know God's love, but it surpasses knowledge. I mean, no one can know all there is to know about God's love. When we said all there is that we can say about God's love, there's so much, there's an infinite amount left unsaid about God's love. We just, and instead of going, why is he telling us to comprehend something that's incomprehensible and know something that's unknowable? Paul's point is to say God's love is so great. It's just beyond our ability 
to get our little heads around. That's what's at work in your heart. It's really a very powerful thing. I'm glad I can't come. I'm glad God's love is incomprehensible at the end of the day and surpasses knowledge at the end of the day. It means it's so great that all the minds in the world can't fully unlock it and understand it. And this love is so amazing, so immense that it brings fullness. Verse 19. This passage makes me think of a cup and saucer. You put a cup on a saucer and you pour the coffee or whatever your favorite beverage is in the cup. And it overflows, right? And, it, and, it, and the overflow goes in, into the, the saucer. And I think that overflow is very significant here. Think, think of the psalmist in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. And, and I think that's what Paul is talking about here, that as, as we ask of the Holy Spirit, he comes and through faith, he, he strengthens our hearts with the power of Christ's love, this, this, this love that just overflows in our hearts, and it's that, that overflow that is to be our doing, that overflow of Christ's love, that we're so full up that people get the spillover of Christ's love powerfully at work in us. You know, Renee asked me about not spending time with her, and my response was not overflow, it was me. And so once again, she got Tim. But Paul would say, stop doing and start receiving. And by faith, the Holy Spirit floods our heart to overflowing. And that overflow of Christ's love is what Renee would have gotten, which would have truly been loving her. And I hope that this is at least gives some understanding of what the Apostle Paul is telling us to do here. It is not to do, <laughs> but to ask and trust God the Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing with this, with the power of Christ's love. And this overflowing love is doxological. The, the text ends with, Doxology. You know, what I was doing by responding to Renee in I'll fix it, I'll schedule you in, was operating out of a half full cup. Maybe that's why we feel so drained and ineffective and so unloving. Maybe that's why we don't feel love from others is because they're operating out of a half full cup. But yeah, what Paul encourages us is that there is an inexhaustible amount of power, the love of Christ that fills us to overflowing and our doing that is out of that overflow will be true love, true ministry that promotes true unity in the church. And here's the amazing thing that Paul says in verse 20, that this is all God's work in us. And when, when we are being worked on by God, when we are asking the Spirit, the Spirit is strengthening us and the love of Christ is overflowing in our hearts. The text tells us that God will bring about things that are abundantly more than we can ever imagine. And I just want to just pause for, for, for just a second and, and ask, you know, what might be something unimaginable um, for you or, 
or for us. Maybe there, there's, there's someone that's really hurt you, and you're thinking it, it, it's going to be humanly impossible for, for me to ever forgive this, this person. Maybe there's someone that's just, just downright unlovable, and you're thinking, it's just going to be, it is no way I can love this uh, person. Maybe there's someone who, who you've served in the past, and they love you serving them. They just take, 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 take. There's no way I want to continue serving this uh, person. You know, maybe there's, maybe you're thinking, I, I just don't know that I'll ever get to the place where I will love Christ more than that pet sin. I mean, what, what is unimaginable for you to think might actually come about in your life that would demonstrate uh, true love. You know, I've, I've been thinking about just my, my own life and, you know, after uh, many years of walking with, with, with the Lord, but, you know, I, I've been thinking about bitterness. You know, bitterness really hinders love, doesn't it? Bitterness really hinders living the Christian life. And think about in your life, is there, it doesn't matter if you're a mature Christian or immature Christian, old Christian, young Christian, new to the faith, old of the faith version. Boy, bitterness can really do a number on us spiritually. And we think, I just don't know, I just don't see a way for this bitterness to ever be relieved of me. And Paul says... <laughs> Ask the Spirit who has promised to strengthen you with the power of Christ's love so that you may comprehend and know and be full to overflowing. And this is God's work that will bring about power that is unimaginable. Think of what this church would be like if each person asked before doing, received, and loved, and ministered, and lived the Christian life out of the overflow of Christ's love. Think of what your life would be like and your family. And all of this is for the glory of God, verse 21. That's the goal of this prayer, that God would be glorified. May Paul's words in this passage bring us to the place of, of, of realizing what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised may the love of Christ control and compel you and me 
to love out of the love of Christ that we have received. Let us pray. Our Father, we're reminded of how quickly we can be about doing instead of living by faith and asking of you. And yet when we ask of you and you're so faithful to give and to change and to flood our hearts the love of Christ, oh my, our doing so far surpasses any doing that we might have reflected in our lives in the former way. And so, Father, we pray that you would enable us to heed Paul's admonition here. Lord, this is a prayer that we should continue to pray. For we need the power, the love of Christ flooding our hearts continually. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.